Hi, it's Chris Setta. I'm excited to bring you this brand new episode from yet another recent adventure. This 20-hour excursion took Nicole and I through Atlanta, Georgia and Birmingham, Alabama. Growing up in the Northeast, we're used to seeing the fall foliage this time of year, but instead we traveled through a rolling landscape of peach trees, pecan orchards, and even cotton fields. Now you probably can guess at least who one of these interviews will be with, but my guest today doesn't live anywhere near there. Fortunately, we were able to meet up in the small college town of Athens, Georgia. Athens is the home of the UGA Bulldogs, but it's also the birthplace of several rock bands, including R.E.M. Now before we begin, please don't forget to click subscribe. If you'd like to show your appreciation for the podcast, I'd love if you could leave a rating or review. And if you have suggestions for guests or future topics, feel free to reach out to me through text, email, or social media. So once again, it's time to buckle up and join us on our journey as we're about to go on another road trip. We're using braces that were invented and used in the era of the VHS and the rotary telephone. How many industries are still using that technology that's really gone unchanged today? And so we really see it as, hey, we think that this digital interface customized treatment Our real competition isn't each other, but rather the old way of doing things. I'm Dr. Chris Setta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Brandon Owen. Innovation. It's one of the most pervasive buzzwords in orthodontics today. But why does innovation even matter? Throughout the history of orthodontics, innovation has always come from within the specialty. Consider the contributions of Drs. Edward Angle, Raymond Begg, or Larry Andrews, to name just a few. But in the new millennium, the orthodontic specialty has been challenged with an alleged disruption from outside the profession. Now corporations are claiming they can straighten teeth themselves. Today, I'd like to introduce you to an orthodontist who is rekindling the spirit of innovation amongst us. He was awarded the first AAO Innovator Award for developing a custom digital braces solution. On today's podcast, I shine a light on Dr. Brandon Owen. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Chris? Doing fantastic. Um, we have to set the scene for our listeners. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? So we are overlooking the lake at the Visitor Center in Fort Yargo State Park in Georgia, which is right outside of Athens. Yeah. And so what brings us to Georgia today? So doing some work with KL Owen and had a really exciting last couple of days, did four same day starts with custom braces. No way. Where we scanned in the morning and delivered braces that afternoon custom. Never has been done in the world. And it's really eight years of culminating in this last couple of days. So wow. really exciting stuff. That's the future orthodontics. We're going to be diving into a lot of really exciting cutting edge things today on today's podcast. We were fortunate to have a really nice dinner last night at De Palma restaurant, and uh, we enjoyed some old fashions. We're actually recording this today. It's about noon. Beautiful view in Fort Yargo State Park. I guess we're about an hour northeast of Atlanta, in between Athens, Georgia, and Atlanta. And we do have a beverage today. Why don't you tell everyone what we're drinking? We pulled an Airstream to get here. So in the Airstream, I had some Kirkland Cold Brew Colombian coffee, and it's a great way to start the morning. I'm going to crack mine open. Oh, yeah. Let's take a sip here. So I know you grew up out in Montana, and not many people know much about Montana. So tell us about your upbringing. Tell us about growing up. Yeah, so I, when I was growing up and we'd go other places, everybody thought we still had stagecoaches, you know, back in the, <laughs> the 80s. But um, no, I grew up in a town. It was the second largest city in, in Montana, Great Falls. 400 plus kids in my high school. There were a couple high schools in town. But it, it was awesome, too, because I got to grow up fly fishing. My great-grandfather was one of the founders of West Yellowstone. So we spent no a ton of time in Yellowstone National Park. I have oh, great memories incredible. fly fishing with my grandpa, with bison, you know, 15 steps away. 
in the Firehole River, and I actually got to drive a combine on my other grandparents' farm even before I had my driver's license. So I got the city kind of experience because it wasn't a super small town. But I also had that real Montana experience as well. I believe you stayed in the state to go to college there. Yep, in, in Bozeman. And I was a third mm-hmm. generation Montana State University grad. So, Oh, that's really incredible. Yeah. So your family has deep roots there. My parents yeah, met and got married there. That's where I was born during their college years. So yeah, it was a great spot. Yeah. And then where'd you end up going to dental school? Out in Minnesota. Great people. It was, believe it or not, one of the closest dental schools to where I grew up 14 hours away from Great Falls. Oh, is that right? So uh, it was either like Washington, Colorado, or Minnesota, and they were all about 14 hours away from my hometown. So and I believe you did your residency program then. Stayed in Minnesota and was really lucky. It was Brent Larson had just joined as the department chair. Man, he just taught me so much. Great faculty across the board, but you know, really I, I attribute 85% of my education is really just zeroing on, on those pearls from Dr. Larson. And the thing I loved about him, and really I think what sparked some of my innovation is way before Simon Sinek's, you know, start with the why, when you mm. ask Dr. Larson a question, it was never just here's the answer. It was always here's the answer and here's the rationale. Here's why that's the answer I've picked. Not that it's the only answer, but it really got me thinking deeper about every single thing. You know, anytime we approach something, it's Okay, it's fine to have the answer, but really yeah. diving deeper into it is, I think, what really kind of triggers that innovative spirit. So you think that really sort of affected you in your early educational upbringing? I do. And we ha- I have co-residents. You know, ben Pliska graduated right below me, and he's doing probably the world's leading expert on pediatric sleep apnea from the orthodontic perspective. Hmm. Anthony Bonavogli is my co-resident, who's the CEO of Startaloo. Steve Hunsaker has 20 offices you know, and DSOs across the country. Ching Ko was my co-resident, program director at UNC. It was really a special time there, and it was before... Brent got so busy with all of the AAO stuff. Yeah. So we got a ton of his time and attention because he was just fresh to the school. So that's, that's really great incredible. time to be at the University of Minnesota. I can't say enough great things about yeah. my experience in the ortho department. So what brought you to Colorado? My wife is from Alaska. We were both growing up in smaller areas where you didn't have big cities close by. So if you wanted to go to the museum or a ball game, 14 hours in the car. Or for my wife, it was getting in an airplane and flying to Seattle. Yeah. So to be able to have a small town that was within an hour's drive, because in Minneapolis we had arts, culture, you know, sports, whatever you wanted was just right on demand. And so we love that kind of juxtaposition of the mountains scenery, but not being right in the the traffic of of a big metro area, but being close enough to access it. Great. So what year did you head out there? 2006. 2006. And I believe you set up a practice or you purchased a purchased a practice. practice. It was a smaller practice. And so it was a lot of fun to grow that. And I had to actually do an associateship for one of the corporate groups. I love that I have that experience in my belt too, is I really got to kind of see the DSO corporate practice lifestyle and also that private practice style as well. And I really have appreciation for both models. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. And I've had that too throughout my career to sort of understand both because they are different animals to some extent. So Brandon, when you got into practice, what did you encounter right off the bat? It was really an interesting practice opportunity. The doctor I was taking over had a ton of TMD patients. And Mm. I really had a great training. Minnesota has an orofacial pain program there, and we got to cycle through with the residents. But when you're in school, you're just really trying to learn what you're trying to learn, and some of those things don't sink in as deep as they should. And so here I am with the hardest, most complicated TMD patients in northern Colorado and not really knowing how to manage them appropriately. So I spent tens of thousands of dollars and weeks of my life going to Panky, Dawson, Okison, Koi Spear, you know, basically just all of the big oh, names yeah. in TMD. I went and learned all of them. And with that, I was able to kind of formulate my own philosophy and pick the pearls from all those different people. The other thing that really was interesting at that time is Invisalign. Boy, was I just disappointed with the outcomes I was getting. Hmm. Every, pretty much every case, I was just like, please let me put braces on just for a month or two. I'd love to get these last couple things. But the patients usually would decline and say, no, it's, I'm done. I'm, I'm happy with where things are. And so one of my reps from GAC walked through the front door and she just showed me the innovation L bracket. And I was like, oh man, this is great. I just feel like I can have so much better control. And yeah. aligners have really gotten so much better. So like if it were today, mm-hmm. lingual probably would not be part of my practice history because I think the liners are so much more predictable and we understand how to use them much better. Mm -hmm. But back then, man, I could get a lot better. I just started with anterior lingual stock brackets, Innovation L, three to three, four to four, 
just quick anterior alignment, six month cases. Patients loved it. I built a huge practice yeah. based off of that lingual. And then went for the more complicated cases, we got into incognito, um, harmony and a lot of the other lingual platforms as well. And then when that same rep came back around and she was noticing how many brackets I was ordering, she started saying, wow, you're ordering more braces from us for the lingual than anyone in the country. And I was like, oh, that's kind of surprising. That's great. And I kind of taught myself. I didn't have any courses or anything. I just, I like to do indirect bonding. That's what I learned at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So for lingual, it was an awesome platform to apply the braces really easily and quickly. So she came around and started looking at some of the cases. We were doing like impacted premolar cases and all these crazy different things just with stock brackets. And she's like, hey, would you mind meeting my regional sales manager? And it really quickly turned into a trip out to Aix-en-Provence where I met Heather Hopkins. And wow. we just became, you know, fast friends ever since. The premise was they asked me to be their head lingual educator for Dent Supply. And I got to go all over the country and lecture with that. And we also brought a beta test product it was called Eclipse originally, and then No Trace Plus that we got to beta with about 20 different offices. Didn't ever made it to commercialization. There were enough issues with it that we felt it was better not to kind of move forward with it. But mm-hmm. th- what it really did was, I think it gave Dent Supply a, an opportunity to kind of see how my brain works. And then it was only about a matter of a year later, American Orthodontics was offering me a contract to help them with Harmony and some digital product development. And then GAC kind of countered that and offered me a position to lead digital orthodontics for them. And at that point, it was like, well, what does digital orthodontics even mean? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Digital can mean everything. Digital charting, digital x-rays. But what I took the interpretation to be, since we were talking about bracket manufacturing, is CAD CAM engineered tooth movement. So I started using everything. Hmm. You name the product that was digital. If it had digital in the name, I was using every single system. I think I'm at like 16 digital systems to date, more than 20 IDB platforms. So I've really used a lot of just different things. And what I found is there's elements of every system that have extreme strengths. And then there's elements of every system that had terrible weaknesses. Hmm. And so it really gave me this holistic kind of perspective on what if we coupled all of the great parts of all these systems into something and into, you know, kind of one streamlined, easy to use turnkey solution. And that's how your product really developed, right? Absolutely. You know, I watched all of these digital custom systems lose money and not just a little bit of money, but millions and millions of dollars, right? It costs so much to make all of these precise, tiny pieces, assemble them, and manufacture them. And it costs you so much money and it takes so much time that none of them were ever viable. And Hmm. actually, when I was presenting this to the companies, they're like, custom braces was almost a four-letter word. You know, they wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. And so when I approached it, I was like, to me, there's really only one way to make this custom where it's viable in the long term. You know, when I talk to lay people about the way that we've tackled it, I like to say that, you know, insignia would be like walking into a shoe store and having a shoe salesman measure your right and left foot and telling you, we are going to give you a $1,000 pair of shoes. It's going to be ready in six weeks, but it's going to fit you perfectly, mm-hmm. right? And so unfortunately, it probably costs them $900 to make that shoe. So they only made 90 bucks profit or $100 profit, but all of the value is diminished in the manufacturing process. On the other end of the spectrum, to me, when we were looking at like our normal braces, right? Mm-hmm. It's a one size fits all. Every patient that walks through your front door is getting the same set of brackets slapped on their teeth and that'd be like walking to the shoe store and having only size 15. It was your only option. And then I, as a shoe salesman, I'm going to sit side by side with you for the next 90 minutes to carve some foam and create a sculpted piece that's an interface between your foot and this one size fits all shoe. That's all the detailing exactly. bends we do. It's all the repositioning that we have to do as orthodontists to kind of MacGyver that one size fits all and actually make it work for each patient. That's um, a great analogy. And I think the other thing is it really got me understanding that when we're talking about marginal ridge alignment, mm-hmm. it's almost always a third order issue that we're facing, mm-hmm. but all we do is a second order adjustment. We're just leveling the marginal ridges. So you're not actually seeding the lingual cusps of the upper teeth down into that central groove. And when I was doing the repose, I'm like, I'd measure the bracket and I'm like, it's right where it was supposed to be. You know, the distance from the cusp tip right. to the bracket before I repo it is like, it was in the right spot. It followed the prescription, but because we didn't get that torque expression, we had all of these up and down discrepancies in marginal ridges. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw slot filling mechanics with incognito, I was like, wow, that's the answer. You got those marginal ridges and lingual cusps right where they need to be. So I kind of liken KLON to walking into a shoe store 
and them saying, hey, we've got all these half-size iterations. Why don't you go find the one that's the closest fit for you? But we're going to give you a 100% fit shoe, and the way we get there is 95% of the customization is by picking the right size, Mm -hmm. but the last 5% is when you tighten those laces, it's going to hug your foot. So if Uh, I buy a size 9.5 shoe, and my brother buys the same 9.5 shoe, it fits us a little bit differently because of the laces. And so... That's the best model, right? If you look at business people in the bigger industries like shoes or clothes, that's the model that prevails. And so I tried to replicate that essentially into the bracket system that I developed. And it's really smart because like you said, from a manufacturing standpoint, to do everything 100% custom in terms of custom base, custom slot. I mean, there's just a lot of cost, I would imagine, that goes into it just to uniquely make that part. What would you consider KLO in then? Well, it's a 100% custom solution. Mm -hmm. To me, when I think about a custom solution, it means that using the wire, the bracket, and composite, I can deliver a tooth to any three-dimensional position in the dental arches and be able to cover all the standard deviations down to the 99.9% and always have a great fitting bracket so you don't have to use a lot of composite because our No Trace Plus product that we tried to bring to market had a millimeter, two millimeter thick composite bases using a stock bracket and they popped off all the time. Mm -hmm. But if we can always be in two tenths of a millimeter, we're always within five degrees of torque Mm -hmm. and we're always within two tenths of a millimeter to the surface of the tooth. So that last little bit, the shoelaces to that shoe analogy is always going to be less than two tenths of a millimeter thick and that doesn't equate to higher debon. So I can give you a 100% custom solution. You can put seven degrees of torque in, it's going to pick the five degree bracket, and it's going to build in the last two degrees in the indirect bonding tray. So when you actually bond that patient, when you set the adhesive, the two degrees is built into the composite base. 100% custom. So So smart. So Brandon, KLO, and certainly a unique name. I think the first time I saw it, I thought it was Cloen, which I imagine I'm not the only one. But where did you come up with that name? So we actually lost our oldest son back seven, eight years ago. Oh, my gosh. It was a respiratory virus. It was all of a sudden. So it was just healthy one minute and then crazy, crazy life roller coaster. Oh, my gosh. His name was Keller Logan Owen. So KL Owen is a tribute to him. And it was really fun for me to be able to kind of put such a positive spin, you know, something that really I'm dedicated to making patients have a better experience, making doctors be able to offer a treatment that's maybe better than it was before, all in his memory. And so, so the KLO is a tribute to your son. Absolutely. And so people have asked me, like, you need a name that makes more sense, you know, that I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. I just, this is such a personal thing to me. I got it. It's got to be the name. And so we stuck with it and it's, it's been awesome to be able to have this kind of come as far as it's come. An incredible way to honor your son's memory. Thanks. Yeah. It's been just blessed to, to be so fortunate to have things going as well as they have. So, Brandon, I guess the last big innovation really in bracket technology was sort of like the late 70s, early 80s with Larry Andrews. And basically, he built torque into the bracket. So we've always had good control of the second order, right, which is tip. But the issue comes down to the first order, in-out, and third order, torque, have never quite been perfect with the straight wire appliance. And that's why we're doing all the wire bending and detail bending. But that's what a lot of our additional visits are in the office, right? And not only the additional visits, the additional months in treatment, Mm -hmm. but also the doctor time. If you think about your day, I guarantee you half of your day or more is dedicated to repositioning, bending wire, doing things to make that one-size-fits-all system work for each individual patient. And you're totally right. To me, it's Andrews is hands down the biggest innovation in the last 50 years. And what it allowed us to do was get so much closer to the bullseye just by working up through our wire sequence. Instead of having to put every bend for every dimension, every order of movement between every tooth, you can think about how laborious that process would be. Yeah. And so pretty much overnight, people implementing that bracket prescription were able to almost double capacity and actually get better outcomes more quickly. Yeah. You know, when you look at the Rogers adoption curve, you've got the early adopters, you've got the early majority, late majority, the laggards. Andrew's prescription took off and got massive market penetration in less than a decade because it was such, an, such a huge superiority over what had existed before. And that's why we had the golden age of orthodontics in the 80s, is we had a new product that cost maybe a little bit more, but delivered a ton of value. Right. And so the 1980s, this golden age of orthodontics, it really had to do, I think, the bracket prescription, and you combine that with nickel titanium wires, those two kind of culminating technologies made orthodontics better, more affordable, because over time, 
if you look at the cost of braces, it didn't even keep pace with inflation. And it's because we could scale. We could actually see more patients. So it right, didn't have right. to keep pace with inflation. Yeah. Now we're truly in, I think, a new golden age of orthodontics with these custom appliances. I absolutely agree. And I think Align set the stage for that, right? A digital platform. And mm-hmm. if you listen to Joe Hogan on Squawk Box and Mad Money and the other shows that he's done, this isn't about plastic versus metal. It's an analog to digital conversion. But braces haven't really adopted that digital integration. If you look at custom systems to date, less than 5% market penetration in custom and that Rogers adoption curve. And then if you look at even self-ligation, you know, maybe 20 to 30%, but there wasn't enough value in either of those platforms to get them over that early majority, late majority. Hump. Right, right. And so we haven't had any broad spectrum in fixed appliances, things that have taken over the market, right? Totally displaced all of the incumbents. But I think the custom solutions that now can come out with faster turnaround time, two weeks or less, same day is what I'm really excited about, Mm -hmm. but also with a way lower price point. That's the biggest thing is when I was doing all these other custom systems, you know, it was $1,000 for Insignia or $8.95 for SureSmile plus the cost of the brackets. You always had to do an upcharge. It was always, oh, you want the better product? Okay, it's going to cost you an extra $600. Yeah. And very few patients would actually be willing to pay that, which meant my digital share of chair was never hitting a threshold where I could actually say, hey, I've opened up my schedule because I'm not doing all this adjusting anymore. I can have two new exams, a new start every day right. with the same staff, right? Nick Isis and the others that coined that plastic assistant, mm-hmm. it's not the plastic assistant, it's the digital assistant mm-hmm. because we've built in to the appliance the customization. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what's so exciting is that delegation becomes 2X, 3X, again, what it is with the bracket prescription. What if you could double the size of your practice, get better results than you've ever had before because you're using a system that's built just for the patient in front of you? Which is incredible, really, when you think about it. So, Brandon, the idea of custom braces really isn't new. I mean, I know of Ormco's Insignia, which is probably the first product, and then Harmony also had some customization to it. So talk to me about the differences between these products. Yeah, so Craig and Draco and Hilgers and Sarver and you know others came together for that Insignia platform, which was just brilliant. To think about what they did, I think it was 20 plus years ago. Oh, wow. Um, before we had intraoral scanners and all these other things, you know, just to be thinking where they were at that time is just mind-blowing. They really set the stage, and then SureSmile was right around that same time with the robotically bent arch wires. Again, the price point, the time for fabrication, those were some of the limiting kind of barriers. And then Harmony and Incognito were so fantastic. But we've had all of these different custom solutions. And again, none of them have really hit that mass product adoption. Yeah. So Insignia and SureSmile are using kind of stock brackets. Insignia is a custom bracket, but you still have a stock base. Mm -hmm. And then SureSmile, you put any braces you want on and the wire is the thing that gets adjusted. And there's a lot of research that's been done out there. There's really nine studies that we know of. And Eight out of the nine of them show 20 to 40% reduction in treatment time. Three of the four studies that looked at number of saved office visits showed all but one showed significant savings in office visits. There's these massive values, and those are non-fully like fully custom. I think of like fully custom as Harmony, where you've got a 3D printed metal base that's laser welded to a neck in the bracket. Mm-hmm. Incognito, which is a 3D printed wax. Certainly Life Force is going to fall into that same category. Yeah. The difference with Life Force is they're still not quite custom yet on the molars mm-hmm. versus, you know, Harmony Incognito are, but it's lingual. And you've got to really know the technique. You've got to know which wires to sequence through. It's a right. challenging thing for staff. So we're more like that sure smile insignia. We want to give you all of the benefits, but because we've been able to bring the price point down, we still allow you to position every single tooth, like I said, in a 100% custom position. Right. We just use a modular custom system. The thing I love about that too is with all those other systems, like if I had a Harmony bracket fall off, mm-hmm. I had to put in a purchase order and wait three or four weeks to get that bracket remade. And so we had a tooth, if we were in our final wires, that was drifting away. And we had to go back to our 14 NITI to pick that tooth up again. We just added three months, four months of treatment. With us, if a bracket falls off and the patient lost it, you just go to the box and the prescription for that patient will tell you to put the red bracket on the upper right five. You just grab the bracket, you section the tray from the initial bonding, and your assistant puts it back on and you're right back in without reappointing you're right on track with your scheduling. I love that Alfred gives you the backup and Insignia gives you some backup molars too, but now you're making extra pieces that 90% of them just get thrown away at the end. So I just love that we yeah. can have, you've got your stuff to fix the bracket right on hand. Yeah. You only use it though if you need it, because again, this Lego kit that we've created, the shoe size adapts to every patient. So 
Brandon, I hear the word custom, and custom, in my mind, can mean different things, right? Because custom could be how the bracket base fits the tooth. Custom could be the prescription of the slot. Custom could be multiple things, right? So how do you define custom? To me, custom is if we can put every tooth exactly where we want it digitally and then have an interface between the bracket, the composite, and the wire that lets us take every tooth to that in a straight line to that ideal position. That's, to me, custom. Seven to seven, we can control even third molars if you've got them. We can put mm-hmm. all the teeth in the right position every time. Yeah. What I love about Lightforce and Embrace and KLON is what we're offering now is not the same as it's going to be a year from now because we're all developing new technologies, making things better. And so we just launched Generation 3 about three weeks ago. So new new indirect bonding tray, brand new software platform, new marketing materials, new packaging, everything. And so if you used us two months ago and you get a case today, I will tell you that the experience of what you're going to get is totally different than even what we had. And if you look back 12 months to when we were in our Gen 1, oh my gosh. But the cool thing is we're seeing some of these Gen 1 cases finish up with inferior materials in terms of indirect bonding tray, inferior printers, the software that was pretty buggy and glitchy, and the results are still amazing. I mean, it's awesome to hear doctors saying, I didn't have to put any bends in, even with our Gen 1 product, or if I had to put a bend in, it was never anything beyond the canine. So straight wires, three to seven every time, I maybe did two little detailing bends. And so it'll be really fun to see what this Gen 3 looks like a year from now. How close are we to that bullseye? But it's only a matter of time before Lightforce, Embrace, KLO, and all of those are going to keep getting better, better, better towards truly straight wire, where you're not putting bends in anymore at all. Because we'll be able to use some data to actually predict when we need a little overcorrection in certain spots. So very cool. Walk us through, say I'm going to do a KLO and start today. I know I'm going to take my scan of the patient. I submit it to you guys. What are the next steps? So what I love about our platform is we have that full service lab that's ready to go. It's a very similar experience to every other system that you're used to kind of engaging with. You submit a scan, you can adjust the teeth in the ClinCheck. And then once you've done that, it goes back to the lab to manufacture the indirect bonding tray, to have the brackets loaded, and then it gets shipped to you ready to put on the patient's teeth. And what I love about that is it helps you get the learning process down. And we're two weeks turnaround time, which is amazing because every other custom system tends to be at least twice that long. But because all we're doing is really doing the design and 3D printing a tray and loading brackets that are already made, Mm -hmm. it's way shorter time to fabricate than when you're making the braces and the parts and pieces themselves. So Sure. But the beauty of it is once you've kind of utilized that lab to learn the software, learn the bonding, once you kind of feel comfortable with those elements, you have the option to bring this into your office. Which is great. It's amazing. And so, you know, my dream for this was to have the first digital global solution that's Mm -hmm. custom for each person. And if you look at like Insignia, their home base is California and Incognito in Germany and Harmony was in France and then moved, you know, over to Asia no matter where you live in the world, you've got to order the wires and the brackets or whatever from those single sites because they're really expensive to set up that manufacturing process. And if you're in Australia, you've got to wait even longer and you've got to have customs and you've got to pay these expensive shipping fees. So what I love about KLON is we can set up labs in every country in the world. And that lab can be the support service. And in two weeks turnaround, whether you live in India or Australia or California or New York, you could have those full service lab cases still in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But you could have a lab technician designing your case. And if you have your own 3D printer, you can still do the ClinCheck or you can do everything in office where with a digital assistant, train them for a couple months and they're actually doing all the setup for you. The doctor comes in, takes a one minute peek, makes the final couple tweaks for the case. The digital assistant takes over, prints the trays, loads the brackets. And that's what we were doing this last couple of days was we scanned patients in the morning, yeah. designed the bite, printed the trays, put the brackets in, and here you go. Same day custom solution. This, this is the dream, I think, right? Because sometimes the patients do want that same-day convenience of a start. So if you're scanning a patient in the morning, you're delivering in the afternoon, I assume, because you do need some time to do the setup and yeah. print the Yeah, so IDB yesterday, tray. it was about three hours for us. I mean, that's a really good turnaround and, time. And that's with, like, you know, it's, it's pretty funny because we had four CEOs that came to the office and we were all trying to pull this off together mm-hmm. to make this trial work. I used to do the 3D printing. I used to use the printing software. I used to do all these other things. And so we really should have brought all of our lab people because it would have been probably closer to two hours. 
So yeah, the print time is about a half hour. The post-processing and bracket loading maybe is another 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then really all you've got on top of that is just the software time. And it it just keeps getting shorter every week with like Dibs AI. So the Dibs AI software Mm -hmm. that uses anatomic points on the teeth Mm -hmm. and then actually does a automated setup based on the landmarks. Wow. Assistants can really learn quickly where the cusp tip is, where the marginal ridge is. But when you tell an assistant to do an ideal setup, that's a very challenging thing to teach. Yeah. So by being able to have an assistant get trained to put just the points of the landmarks on and have that populate makes it very much more approachable and to get that same day solution. Yeah. I really think that's the future right there. I, I hope so. And, and I mean, the cool thing is, you know, we're open platform as well. So OrthoSelect is my favorite software because I just think it's so intuitive and it is possible to kind of walk through that process with the Dibs AI now. Mm-hmm. And the trays just fit better than any of the other trays that I've ever tried before. But if you want to use Three Shape or Onyx Ceph or you know all these other things, eventually we'll have the choice of, hey, you've got whatever software choice you want. So if you want a lower cost, but you're going to train more people and so you want something that's more of an annual license, great do that. If you want something that's convenient like OrthoSelect, so if you have an assistant that leaves, someone else can step in and very quickly keep you back in stride again. Or that digital assistant, if they leave your office, it's so nice to have that safety net of, oh, just go back to using the lab until you train your next one. And we do education for all the digital technicians. So we'll train your next one. You don't have to worry about having the doctor taking time to do that. So we want to empower orthodontists to have this ability to do everything in their own office if they want to. If you're using KLON for most of your cases, it's less than $300 for the brackets, which is about the same cost as Clarity or as Damon. But I think we offer a much higher value because we can cut an hour as a doctor time out of every patient case because we take out the detailing bends and the repos. And so to me, that's the fun part is, holy cow, what huge value we can provide without adding a significant cost. And then you can pick the interface for the software or do you want the lab to do the setup or do you want to do the setup? Our retail price is 449 if you order it one case at a time mm-hmm. because it's that 300 but then there's 150 in materials and lab technician time and printing and shipping. So the more you bring things in the office, the more your price actually gets closer to that less than $380 price point, which is awesome. Yeah. That's what I just love is, wow, I can offer this amazing value without having to have this exorbitant bracket fee. When we come back, in just a moment, we discuss how you can bring your own orthodontic product ideas to market. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from... Digital Orthodontics Hub empowers orthodontists to integrate 3D printing and in-house aligners into their practices. Digital Orthodontics Hub was created by Dr. Ruz Kosravi, a practicing orthodontist in the Seattle area and an assistant professor at the University of Washington. Digital Orthodontics Hub offers online courses, in-person events, and even one-on-one training for you and your team. To find out more, visit www.orthodontics.io. Support also comes from Hip Creative. Ready to turn prospects into patients for good? Well, check out Hip Creative. Attracting new patients requires not just a plan, but implementation. Hip realized this and developed a program to integrate team training, transparency, and accountability into your individual practice. These proven strategies put you back in control of finding and keeping the right patients while organically growing your practice for long-term success. To find out more, visit hip.agency. Welcome back to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm Dr. Chris Seta. Aside from his work on KLO Embraces, Brandon recently developed a 3D-printed TMJ splint and licensed out the technology. So I just love trying to make things easier for clinicians to treat patients and elevate the outcomes. Because I did a lot of TMD, I started using these NTI splints and gelb appliances, and they were super quick and easy to use. But I had some patients that had ruptured discs because of the appliance that I used. Oh, wow. Or they advanced the Piper classification because the elevator muscles were putting the pressure directly to the disc instead mm. of having those posterior molar stops. So the easy-to-use splints, unfortunately, have some really bad iatrogenic. And I got to see the worst of the worst because when dentists were referring me patients, I'd see the cases that weren't going so well. Yeah. But 29 out of 30 times, you're probably fine with an NTI. But the one time it goes bad 
it goes really bad to mm-hmm. the point where it's surgical intervention a lot of the time or some major, major things that we have to recover for. And I went back then to using a centric relation splint, kind of the Dawson Pinky philosophy more than anything else. And to do it the right way, even if you know what you're doing, I mean, I did splints like all the time. Mm-hmm. And it still we schedule 60 to 70 minutes for my insert appointment because I have to have 18 points of simultaneous contact within 60 microns. And that takes a long time to get that perfected. Right. And then, then you've got to go into excursives and protrusives and have the canines and the incisors, all that pass over. And then you've got to go into crossover movement when they come back from that and make sure you don't have kind of a self-extraction set up. And so to do it well, even if you're really experienced and are doing it all the time, how do you fit that into an orthodontic practice? Right. That's a lot of doctor time. And so and we a lot ended of up acrylic grinding. It's crazy. <laughs> and then I, yeah, I was covered in acrylic <laughs> at the end of all these visits. So we ended up breaking out my TMD to just being a separate day out in a satellite office where I'd mm-hmm. do two days a month and it was just filled TMD. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, there has to be a better solution for this as well. And, you know, I think TMD is now this enigmatic thing where everybody's scared of it because there's all these philosophies that are talking about why this person's wrong or why this group is wrong. Yeah, I'll be honest. I refer my TMD out. Yeah, and and most orthodontists do. And I think it's confusion. If you're not really in that space and you haven't learned from everybody so you can Mm -hmm. kind of really understand what the nuance is, then it's so confusing because even if the experts can't agree on it. How am I, as someone who's just trying to enter this space, supposed to get competency in it? Right. The reality, though, is all of those different philosophies, they agree on about 95% of how to treat and manage TMD patients, hmm. right? So they actually all agree about almost everything. It's just that they have always articulated the differences rather than the commonalities. Interesting. So it becomes like this fracturing mentality yeah. when you're an outsider looking in. Is if you guys can't agree on this, how am I supposed to interpret it? Right. And like I said, who's going to go like I did and spend fifty, sixty thousand dollars and months out of the office over a two or three year period? It's stupid to do that unless you're in my situation where I was like, if I don't do this, you know, I'm not going to be able to treat these patients that are already in my hands the way that they should be. But it really gave me this global perspective of the TMD field. And it allowed me to pull all those philosophies in. And what I love about this tripod design is it's a perfectly flat upper piece. Okay. And then there's three elevations. There's only one kind of over the mesial cusp of the first molar, and then one between the central incisors. Okay. So when you put the splint in the patient's mouth, so the only adjustment you have to make are those three points. Three tripod points. And what used to take me an hour, if I'm spending more than two minutes doing an insertion, Mm -hmm. that's the rarity. Yeah. So something that took 60 to 70 minutes now going into a two-minute process, I can charge way less and get better results. In the excursives, you just need to make sure there's no rough points. So what I love about it is you can be a novice in the space and not cause harm to the patient Mm -hmm. and be able to do this and fit it into a retainer check slot. So it's actually something you can pull into the orthodontic practice without a ton of education and with better results. I mean, even knowing what I'm doing, we saw people feeling better much faster with the tripod design across the board. Yeah. I think that would be great because we all have TMD patients in our practice and I feel badly referring them out. I usually refer them out to general dentists. I have a little more knowledge in TMD, but if it's a simple solution and you're seeing great results, I'd be willing to try it. Yeah. I'd love to get you on board. And yeah. with now the COVID era, everything going digital, being able to do education platforms where I can teach people about TMD in a one hour session or in a three hour session. It's just great that you can actually get the knowledge and have the execution that makes it pretty approachable finally. So is there a specific lab you have to work with to order one of these? OrthoSelect is the first lab that we've partnered with. Okay. And then we use the new Keystone soft splint material. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing material. I was actually the first one to print a 3D printed night guard in North America and use oh, it wow. to treat TMD. So this is a resin? It's a resin. It's off the 3D printer. And the first resins that we used were from Nextent. And I did about three of them. And within three months, we ended up seeing all of those cracking, splitting. The material, just the properties weren't sufficient to be able to do this back then, at least in my hands, you know, it was like, wow, if I'm remaking 100% of these splints within six months, then, okay, I'm going to put pause on this. And so I was at the IDS meeting in Cologne last year, and basically just looking at all the 3D printing companies, all the different resin companies, and I saw this Keystone soft splint, and it was probably the one material that blew me away the most. You could squeeze this thing as hard as you can over and over and over again, and it doesn't break. Wow. 
And huh. it also warms up a little bit in mouth temperature. So a lot of the acrylics would put pressure on the teeth and make the people's teeth hurt in the morning when they woke up with it. Mm-hmm. So you had to do a lot of internal adjustments to get the pressure off those incisors. Yeah. So it added, again, 15, 20 minutes to every splint appointment. Well, with the soft splint, as it warms up, it stops putting that pressure on after about five minutes, and so the patients can be very comfortable with it. Yeah. It made it possible to make this tripod splint thinner. So actually, the inner incisal distance of the tripod splint is the same as what I was doing with a one-arch, full-coverage acrylic splint. So you have to prop the bite way, way open in order to make this work. So With the Precision Buttons product, I licensed that out, and I did consider forming a company, but then I thought, you know, the advantage to working with a company is one, they have all the manufacturing know-how, two, they already have a sales force and a knowledge base, and then three, I still wanted to practice as an orthodontist. I think it's really cool that you guys are all CEOs, but there's like a balance there, right? So, But there's certainly trade-offs too with licensing, and you know, with licensing, I can't necessarily control 100% the marketing message or the packaging design. Talk to me about the pros and cons from your perspective on venturing a product versus licensing. I was trying to get KLO and through the licensing. I went to every one of the major companies. Oh, is that right? So I'm super jealous of you, quite honestly. <laughs> the grass is always greener, for sure. Yeah. Looking back, when I was in the thick of it, I would say those first five years of product development, I just was really hoping that the licensing could work because of everything you said. I can focus on practicing. I can spend more time with family. Because as soon as you take on the formation of a company, your lift is extremely heavy. And so... Yeah. When I get to do this licensing for the tripod splint, it's so easy. I mean, it's just, I don't even think about it. It's just done. People can learn about it. They can use it if they want to. If they don't want to use it, that's totally fine too. But it's not a heavy lift for me at all. Mm -hmm. Versus to start this company, I had to secure a manufacturer. I had to have intellectual property. I had to know not only about how to file the patent, but then also which patents should I file continuations on. And we have a whole bunch of different patents because... Some of the companies will try and find ways to work around your intellectual property. True. If you want to create a big company, you have to have a lot of patents. And so hundreds of thousands of dollars later that I self-funded and had to learn all of this information about patents that I'd never had any clue about before. Yeah. Knowing about angel investment, venture capital investment, just the startup world, there's a whole vocabulary that goes into that. Learning about regulatory. It's an amazing deep dive That's into a whole that. Other thing, right? Scaling, go-to-market strategy. I mean, there's all these elements that to do this, you have to become an expert in about seven or eight different fields. Yeah, It's very challenging and it's been very rewarding. And I'm mm-hmm. retrospectively now having achieved what I've achieved, I'd say I'm glad I did it this way because I do get the control. I do get the autonomy. But man, would life have been so much easier had it just worked out with, you know, here's a licensing thing or royalty agreement. Yeah, just a different way about going about it. And, you know, I do think to some extent, certain products might be better for licensing versus venturing. Like the Splint, I think, is a perfect product to license out because do you want to start a TMD Splint company? Yeah. Probably not, right? I maybe would have because it is pretty easy if I didn't have so many other distractions. So it's just the easy button. And, mm-hmm. and it's great because you're still making a huge impact in the world, but you still get to focus on having that work-life balance, which I've unfortunately feel like I've lost the last couple of years. I've definitely mm-hmm. been overworking myself. The whole reason I got into orthodontics was to have that time with the family, that balance right. to kind of have started this other route. It's a five day a week, 80 hour a week job. It's not a, oh, I can take Friday off and yeah. hang out with the wife and the kids. Let's take a second. I know both you and I have different people reaching out just in terms of, hey, I have this idea for X. How do I pursue it? What's the next step? Do I go to an attorney and file a patent? Do I have the company sign a non-disclosure agreement? A lot of people are very nervous about companies stealing their idea. Do they go to angel investors and try to raise seed funding? What would you recommend? It's definitely case by case. And I think the first starting point would be do a return on analysis on the investment of filing this patent. Mm -hmm. How much is it going to cost you? And what's the probability of you getting that cost back, that profit back? Right. How much time is it going to occupy on top of that? So if it's going to cost you $30,000 to get a patent in a few different countries and to maintain those, are you going to make $100,000 because after paying all of those expenses and for your time, you really need to make that over the lifetime of the patent? Or is it just, I'd like to have a patent. I'd feel a sense of accomplishment. I'd say go ahead and file a patent for that reason too. I'm a big advocate for using a patent attorney though, because some people will say, hey, just go out and do one of these online provisional patent applications. But there's so much nuance and 
you really need to know the prior art, the patents that exist, and mm-hmm. see if you're violating any prior art. That's kind of the starting point. Really, from there, I would look at a provisional patent to begin with. The nice thing about a provisional patent is it's off book. You know, no one can see what you've patented for that first year. And so you can go into a big company and say, I've got a patent on this. Don't share it with them exactly what the patent is. Just tell them, here's the content that we're protecting. And that way, they can't find the workarounds to it. But the problem is it's going to take you a long time. And so then you have to file that non-provisional patent within a year. Right. And then you've got to spend a little bit more money for that, obviously. And from there, it's really going full bore ahead and making sure you've got really good intellectual property because three to six months down the road, it's getting published and then everybody's going to know what's happening with it. I differ a little bit. I'm in favor of writing your own provisional patents if you can figure it out. And I did not come up with this idea. I got it from a book, One Simple Idea by Stephen Key. But his sort of technique is what you were saying that the provisional patent goes on file. People aren't going to see what it is so you know exactly what the workaround is. And it's not cheating or gaming the system. But if you're in a totally clear space, if you go online and look and there are absolutely nothing related to your product, by filing the provisional, you can file it for $129. So you have one year to really find out, hey, is it worth it if I file a patent? Because a utility patent, in my experience, can be, what, 20000 more on up? It varies sure, on attorney. For sure. Right? Well, and not only on attorney, but on how crowded the space is and how many office actions you're going to have. My first patent actually went through without any non-final office actions. It was like, my patent attorney's like, oh my gosh, this never happened. Yeah, like we just, doesn't. The claims got granted. And I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And everyone since then has basically been these hurdles. So I think that's a great solution, especially in a non-crowded space. But if right. there's If you any, have a bracket, like you said, I think it probably is best to have someone do a prior art search and advise you if you go to an attorney. Because it's not just about getting the patent. You could get a patent on a million right. different things. Can you actually use it? So there's yes. something called freedom to operate. So just because you can get a patent granted for something, doesn't mean you're violating someone else's patent. So my attorney always used the analogy of the three-bladed razor, right? So you've got the Mach 3 razor from Gillette, but you have to make the two-bladed razor before you make the three-bladed razor. So that was a lawsuit between Gillette and I think it was Schick that had the two-bladed razor. And so you wouldn't know that. It's like, oh, let's add an extra blade. How easy is that? It's not in the prior art, but you have to construct something that already exists. So there's a freedom to operate provision as well. Yes. That just because you have a patent doesn't mean you're not going to get sued because you're stealing somebody else's intellectual property too. So I think you're right, but it's case by case dependent. Now, if you're talking about self-ligation, there's so many patent trolls on self-ligating orthodontic brackets that they don't even have a company. There's just all these people in China that have all this intellectual property. And as soon as you've got something that even resembles it, here's a cease and desist letter, pay us twenty, thirty thousand dollars if you want to keep it. It's like using walking this. through a minefield. It totally <laughs> is. So so kind of case by case. And it might yeah. just be worth having a conversation with an attorney. And if they're like, yeah, there's not a lot of freedom to operate restrictions in this situation, maybe that's a great scenario for your strategy. There yeah. is no way I could have constructed this intellectual property statement to be anything meaningful. And if you go to a company and you have these provisional patents, if they like your idea, they can actually create a provisional patent of their own that states the claims in a very efficacious way. And it it might actually negate what you've already done because you gave them enough of that kind of insight. So again, pros and cons to everything, but there's no right answer. And that's where I think it's been fun for me to have these conversations with people as well. Because it's not only the patent part, but it's about okay, is the best route through distribution? Is it through an online sales platform? Is it through, there's all these things that you really, when you're in a situation like you and I, where you've been in this space, you can say, oh, this is a great path forward. Have you considered this yet? And it can really push people to maybe a more successful pathway than had they not had that experience. So, And I think you touched on a really great point before that you really need to consider the return on investment. And I think a lot of people, including myself, when I got into the precision buttons, is you think about the benefit to the doctor, you think about the benefit to the patient, but then you have to realize, you know, how much profit are you going to make and how much are you selling your product for, right? Yeah. So it's a market size. It's what percent of the market do you think you can get? What's the overhead for COGS? What's the overhead for personnel? All these different things come into play and you might be able to sell a million units, 
but if you're only making 80 cents on each one and it costs you 70 cents to make it, maybe that's not worth pursuing an intellectual property filing on. So maybe it will help you in practice. For example, I've had people come to me with ideas for HVAC tip for COVID, right? Certainly there's a benefit to it, but how much can you really sell an HVAC tip for? Are you going to get your return on investment for filing all these patents? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's something to consider. So one of the things I really love is just this spirit of collaboration and innovation between you with KLO and Alfred and Lightforce and John Pham with Embrace. In some ways, you guys are competitors, right? But it's fantastic that you guys actually, I think, are all friends. For sure. So Adam Shuluf's also part of kind of, we have a little yes. Slack channel. We get together every so often and talk. Well, I better about, be invited now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but all of these issues that come up as being the CEO of an orthodontic company, it's tough to find a peer group. So having somebody to leverage and ask advice or just when you're having a tough time, someone that can really get your perspective has been really valuable. And to some extent, you're right. We all have our own unique value proposition within the custom space. But the beautiful thing is, I think we identify that the old technology, I mean, we're using braces that were invented and used in the era of the VHS and the rotary telephone. How many industries are still using that technology that's really gone unchanged today? And so we really see it as, hey, we think that this digital interface customized treatment, our real competition isn't each other, but rather the old way of doing things. And so if we can make this such a great product and process for doctors and patients alike, then we're all going to, we're all going to do really, really well in this space. And so, yeah, they're awesome people, brilliant minds. And again, it's just nice to have somebody that knows your perspective in a space where there aren't very many orthodontists that are CEOs of companies. And historically, so few, I'm kind of lucky that it's now because before this, there's just a handful of companies that have an orthodontist CEO. Yeah. So many people just love that it's for orthodontists by orthodontists. And, and you're really just adopting, as Neil Kravitz famously says, colleagues, not competitors, right? Absolutely. And I love that concept yeah. that Neil is really kind of put forward. So Brandon, changing gears here for a second, it's so amazing to me that in 2019, you won the first inaugural AAO Innovator Award. What was it like winning that award? It was really surreal. It was at the IDS. I was in Cologne, Mm -hmm. and it was like the day before the deadline, and I'm like, man, I really should do this. And so I just stayed in my rented apartment for the week, and it took me eight hours because I had my iPhone and my iPad. I didn't have a computer with me, and the audio didn't capture, so I had to. I recorded the whole thing, and then I had to dub the audio over it. And it was this massive hassle. I'm like, I'm not going to win this thing anyway. What's the point? And it was actually on the anniversary of my son's passing that I recorded that, that oh, session. Wow. So it was like this super emotional day on top of it. And so when they announced that I had won, it was just this thing of elation because at this point, We hadn't even gone to market yet. I mean, we didn't actually do our first commercial cases until August, and this was the May AAO. And it was voted on by orthodontists that were part of the AAO. What a huge honor to get that. And it was great, too, because Brent Larson, who really was my biggest mentor through orthodontics, was the president of the AAO. So when I got awarded this great honor, it was from him. Wow. And just so everything came full circle in that moment. It was massive. It was just really a cool moment for me. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you like the show, please take a second to click subscribe. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could share this show with your friends. Until next time, this is Chris Setta, signing off.